We are on week two of this series called Soul Awakening. And last week we looked at just an overview of the, the condition of souls, where we're at today, and, and we looked at where society puts our focus and attention. And today we want to talk about how God needs to be the center of our soul. And so there was an overcast day in Florida in the winter of 2013. Um, a guy named Jeff Bush was sleeping in his bedroom, and all of a sudden, the earth beneath him gave way to a 100-foot cavern. Um, and so in the middle of his sleep, he literally, the earth devoured him. He died in that moment, and um, I just I want to show you a picture, but what happens, what is happening in certain areas of Florida is the rainwater has been washing away limestone that's underneath certain portions, and it literally, as soon as that limestone is eaten away, it, it just, the earth gives way to whatever weights above it. And so I want to show you this video. Um, go ahead, play that video, and I just want to show you what I'm talking about. Crazy, huh? Imagine being woken up in that moment. The earth gives way beneath you. Well, Gordon MacDonald wrote about this. He wrote about this idea called sinkhole syndrome. And he said it might be triggered by a failure at work, a severed relationship, harsh criticism, or sometimes even for no apparent reason at all. But it feels like the earth has given way in our life. Uh, MacDonald wrote that we all have this outer world. That's our career and our possessions and our social networks. And then he said we all have this inner world that is more spiritual in nature, uh, where, where values are selected, characters formed, worship happens, where the ability for humility can be stirred in our lives. And because our outer world is vis visual and measurable and expandable, he talks that it's a lot easier to deal with. And it our outer world demands our attention at all times, right? Because we have to figure out how to pay our bills and take care of life and feed ourselves and all this stuff. It's our outer world. It demands our attention. And the result is that our inner world 
is often cheated and neglected. Our inner world, the real us, our souls, because they don't shout as loudly. Uh, They can be ignored for large periods of time, but eventually it will give way to a huge sinkhole in your life. But that's what happens. We, we tend to neglect it. And before you, we know it, like there's this huge problem and it, life just, we hit the bottom. We, get, we face a sink-like hole cave-in. Now the New Testament book of James uses a fascinating word to describe this condition. It's often translated double-minded, but the Greek word is dipsochos. And it means divided in interest. We might think of it as double-souled, or split-souled, or an uncentered soul. Uh, And here's a few indicators that we lack a center in our life. And I've seen this in my own life, and I've seen it in people's lives around me. Number one, a soul that lacks a center, it's, it's really impatient. And if you find yourselves impatient, patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit, but if you find yourselves impatient often, it's because your soul's not centered. In the book of Numbers, when people grew impatient with God's long journey through the wilderness, the text actually says, a literal translation of it, it says their souls grew short. Their souls grew short. On the other hand, the character in the Bible proverbial, the patient Job, the Bible says that he was long-souled. Okay, long-souled. So when I'm with my children in the car during rush hour and I'm constantly irritated and agitated because I constantly want to be somewhere else and I'm tapping my foot and I get, that's a moment where I realize that my soul's not being, I'm not centered on God. I'm I'm losing patience with my surroundings. Um, And if you're constantly frustrated in your car, I, I think it's, you sh- really probably should look at where is your soul and how is your soul doing because most likely it's off kilter. Um, so if I'm always in a hurry, I'm always impatient, it's an indicator that my soul is not centered. A uh, soul without a center is also, it's very easily thrown. So um, when I was leading a church in Baton Rouge, we would have our fall festival like we had here last fall. And we would rent this machine. It was a mechanical bull. How many people rode a mechanical bull before? I mean, they were amazingly fun. So uh, I was walking by the mechanical bull, and my staff say, John, get it. Dan, Dan shouts, get on the bull. And then they start, John, John, John. And I felt this peer pressure. <laughs> and so I jumped on the bull. They let me cut in line. I jumped on the bull, and I rolled the bull for like four seconds, okay? Now, the reason why they wanted me to get on the bull was not to see me succeed. Very clearly, they wanted to see me thrown off, okay? And that's why they were cheering, right? They wanted to see me fall. Do you know that life's complicated? Stuff happens in our lives. A friend betrays us. We can't sleep on a regular basis, our jobs threatened, we get sick, our finances are tight. And if your soul lacks a center, when life gets difficult, when life comes at you fast, you will be thrown off kilter. You'll get thrown off that bull. 
no matter how hard you try to hold on, if your life is not centered on God, your soul's not centered on God, you will get thrown off. Um, I, I went rollerblading yesterday morning. That's been my, I've been trying to exercise. I've never been very good at exercising. But I started, I picked up rollerblading because I liked it as a college student. And I was rollerblading, and I was just doing some laps over in Glendora. And as I'm doing laps, um, this dog, big dog, comes running up next to me. Big, it's a big dog, not like, and it, it had big teeth. And I could tell. I went a little bit faster, right? <laughs> but this dog's come running next to me. And as this dog's right here, it, it, I think it smelt my leg a little bit. And then it just ran next to me for like five seconds. And then I noticed the owner. And the dog was friendly. But it looked mean. But, but, uh, but then I noticed the owner. And the owner was irate. And he called his dog. And I keep, I keep going. But I hear from behind me, the owner of this dog just start hitting his dog. And it was this moment where you're like, no, honestly, it's, it's okay. The dog was fine, you know. But I walked away saying, when, when, when our physical bodies react in, in such ways that is, it's out of character for human beings, it's not showing the compassion and mercy of Christ, it means our soul has been thrown off kilter. We are not centered. And so when it comes to anger and rage, it means where our hearts and our souls are not centered on God. So a soul that without a center finds its identity in externals. My temptation when my soul is not centered in God is to try to control my life. In the Bible, uh, this is spoken of in terms of lifting up one's soul to something other than God. So the prophet Habakkuk said that he op- opposed that the opposite way of living in faithful dependence with God is lifting up your soul in pride. That's in Habakkuk 2.4. The psalmist says that the person who can live in God's presence is one who has not lifted up their soul to another. When my soul's not centered on God... I define myself by what? By my accomplishments, by my friends and those around me, by my physical appearance, and by my titles in my life, and by whatever else you've accumulated in life. We start identifying ourselves by those things. And when I lose those things, guess what? Our identity is gone. A soul without a center is literally like that house built over a sinkhole. It's just a matter of time until it corrodes and it's gone. Now, on the other hand, the soul that comes alive when it's centered on God. Your soul comes alive when it's centered on God. Psalm 143.8 says this, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for to you I lift up my soul. So, Tim's son was three years old and... uh, his little, his little boy would always run to him whenever he came home from work or whenever he got his finger pinched or whenever he got hurt or whenever he was afraid in life. And Tim's little three-year-old would run to him. And fathers, you might remember something like this, but li- this little guy would say, hold you, daddy, hold you. Which is a three-year-old's way of explaining, 
of saying, please hold me. Well, guess what? Years later, Tim's son came home from work. He discovered that his wife left him for another man. He was devastated. And he called his dad and said, Dad, can I come over? And dad said, absolutely, come on over. Well, Tim's son drove five hours, walked in the front door of, their, of his house growing up. And Tim said this, this man that's mid-30s literally collapsed in his father's arms. And he said in that moment, I could almost hear my son crying, hold you, daddy, hold you. Hold you, daddy, hold you. Because when we reach out to God, we are lifting up our soul to be nurtured and healed by God. Our soul, a soul centered in God, knows it has a heavenly Father that will hold its pain, hurt, neglect, fear, anxiety. This is what we call life in God. This is what life should look like for people of Christian faith. This is life. This is the spiritual life. To place the soul at every moment in the presence and care of God, our Heavenly Father. Psalm, Psalm 63.8 says this, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Because it's much harder than it sounds to keep your soul centered in God. It, it sounds easy, right? But it's difficult in real life. But staying centered on God is the essence of a healthy soul for you. Thomas Kelly wrote this in Testament of Devotion. We feel the pull of many obligations and try to fulfill them all. We are un unhappy, uneasy, strained, oppressed, and fearful. We have hints that there is a way of life vastly richer and deeper than all this hurried existence. A life of serenity, peace, and power. If only we could slip over into that center. We have seen and known some people who have found the, this deep center of living where the fearful calls of life are integrated. What a great little quote. Psalm 42, 2 says this, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And today as we're going through these psalms, there's something about the psalms, the, the cry of God's people that says, my soul, my soul needs God. Which is so true, more than you ever realized. Your soul needs God. It needs to be centered on God. As a living, as, as I begin living this way, I find, as I begin to do this in my life, I find how little power the world has over my soul. What if I don't get the promotion or my boss doesn't like me or I have financial problems or I have a bad hair day? Uh, yes, these cause disappointment, but they cannot throw our center off kilter because we've been centered in God. They can't, they can't throw us. And actually, sometimes these difficult things that we face actually should bring us closer to God. When we're centered in God and some life throws a curveball, all of a sudden we find ourselves running to instead of running away. When you think of it that way, you realize that external circumstances have no power over your soul. No matter how difficult. Nothing can keep you from being with God. 
If anything, that stuff helps us draw closer to God. The soul needs to be with God. Your soul, it needs it more than you ever realized it. And if you read through the Bible, you get the sense that the soul was designed for God. It's like God created the soul literally to need God. The Psalms are obsessed with this thought. Look at our soul, uh, Psalm 63.1. Our soul thirsts for God. Your soul, even if you think it's dried up and shriveled right now, your soul blesses the Lord. It thirsts for God. It clings to God. It waits for the Lord in silence. Your soul is screaming out, please help me. The soul yearns to be with God because it's desperate to become whole and healed and restored. The soul is God-smitten, God-crazy, God-obsessed. My mind might be filled with idols. My will might be enslaved to habits. My body might be consumed by appetites, but my soul will never find rest unless you find rest in God. We need it, guys. You need it more than you will ever realize. And once we go there, man, we realize that those sinkholes, we're not affected by that anymore. We're literally building, we're building our house on a firm foundation. Your soul needs to find rest in God. So Mark was buying a t-shirt in a department store. And he read the label that said shrink-resistant. Shrink-resistant. Think about that for a minute. If you ever buy a shirt and um, you, it fits nice, and then you take it home and wash it, and then you're like, what happened? And you give it to your children because it shrank by eight sizes. Uh, and so Mark went to the clerk and asked, well, what does shrink-resistant mean? And the clerk said this, the label means that the shirk, the 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 label means that the shirt will shrink, but it doesn't want to. Okay. You guys, my soul doesn't want to shrink, but it will unless it finds its center. My, our souls, they don't want to shrink. They want to come alive in God. But unless we find our center... I mean, that's just what it does. The world sucks everything out of it. It's got to find its home. The soul has to find its home in God. In the beginning, when God created the world, he, planned, he planted a garden in the east called Eden, and God made all kinds of trees bearing fruit. He decorated the garden with all kinds of flowers, and he put fish in the stream and birds in the sky. Eden was a perfect home for God's greatest creation, man and woman, Adam and Eve. And God made the earth so that he would have a place to be with them, his creation, to be with me and you. That's why God created Eden. And the garden God created represents God's desire for being with us. God really desires to be with me and you. And one of the most intriguing texts in the Bible is Genesis 3.8, where Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Isn't that a really interesting text? 
Now, the point of this text is that walking is something you do with someone you care about. Right? You take a walk. Two friends take a walk together. Lovers will take a walk together. You and your children take a walk together. So Shepard and I yesterday, we took a little walk at uh, Big Dalton Canyon. And as we walked along this little creek, and as we took bridges across it, I mean, he, we're just, he was just happy as a clam just to be together with Dad. But let me tell you, anytime he, if he ran ahead a little bit and he got fearful, he ran back and would like grab on my, onto my hand. So we're going down this, this steep cliff, and he's like, grabs me, and I'm like slipping down the hill. He doesn't even, he doesn't blink an eye. He, all he cares about is like, dad's there to keep me safe and secure. And that's what it's like to be centered in God. Like God designed us that way to need God in those moments of difficulty. We're able to say, God, I need you. Help me out. So it's not really about a walk, is it? It's about being with somebody when we take a walk. This God, the God of the Bible, is a God who wants to be with us. Our souls were made to walk with God. Your soul was made to walk with God. But men and women, they, they sinned. They're hide, they hide from God among the trees of the garden. And yet, what does God do? He goes after them. He goes after them. The whole narrative of the Bible is about a God going after us, relentlessly pursuing his creation, willing to leave the 99 behind to go after you. All God has ever wanted was to be with me and you from the very beginning. And every once in a while, a follower of Jesus gets this type of vision for this kind of life, a life with God that's fully centered, where our souls are constantly centered. And I want to share one story. It's a guy named Herman, Herman, uh, Nicholas Herman. He was an uneducated servant from a poor family. And he found faith when he was 18 years old as he stared at a tree during winter. And he realized that as he stared at this tree, that he realized in a couple months, this tree is going to bud open. And in a couple months, leaves are going to form and fruit is going to start to form in this thing. And then he realized if God cared about this tree that much, that God cared for him all the more. And then he realized, he found himself just saying, God, my life is yours. He didn't know what else to do. 18 years old, uneducated. He went to a monastery and said, I would like to help. No clue what to do. But he said, I, God, I want to give you my life in service. And they said, well, you can, you're not educated. You don't know the scriptures. You know what you can do? You can wash dishes and cook food. And for the rest of his life, that's what he did. Uh, he became a dishwasher and a cook. And as he did this, he, in his own life, he privately, constantly just connected with God. Um, and what he did was he would do... As he's doing dishes, he would say, Holy Spirit, God, come. I know that you're with me. I know that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And so he would imagine Jesus being with him, washing dishes with Jesus. Everywhere he went, he imagined Jesus being with him, 
talking to him, connecting. And all of a sudden, here's what he's doing. He was centering his soul on Jesus. And today we know him as Brother Lawrence. Some of you may have read his book called Practicing the Presence of God. Um, When he died, the way that this book came together, like I said, he was an uneducated dishwasher his whole life. Um, And I find it amazing, out of that monastery at that time, there's no other books that we have. Nothing's lasted the test of time except a collection of his letters that he wrote to his friends. And in his letters, he described how his soul could become centered by practicing the presence of God. So guess what? You can do dishes with or without Jesus. And Brother Lawrence learned to do dishes with Jesus. He learned the life with God model is a way to center your life on all that God has. This conversational relationship with God is constantly available to us. There is more intimacy and connection with God than you will ever realize if we just pushed in a little bit. If we just said, God, Today, I don't want to just wash dishes because I have to wash dishes. I want to wash dishes with you. I want to be aware of your presence with me in this moment. When your soul is with God, it doesn't matter if you're a dishwasher or a CEO. Your soul thrives not by your accomplishments, which we all think that's how our soul becomes more alive and more real. It's not true. It's a lie that this world tries to sell us constantly. Your soul comes alive simply by being with God. With God. So how do we discover that with God life that Brother Lawrence discovered? And I want you to know that there's no magic formulas. There is not a, I can't say, do A, B, and C. Okay, we can't do that. But what we can do is say, here's some things that, that, that we've learned. Here's, some, here's, here's the way we can experience Emmanuel, God with us in these moments. And here's what I think we should do and what God's calling us to do. Take every, take as many moments of your day and fill it with a conscious awareness of God's presence and surrender to God's will. Take as many moments and fill it with, God, you are Emmanuel with me right now. So the next two, 10 or 24 minutes can be with or without God, right? Right? The next 2, 10, or 24 hours can be with or without God. Your breakfast can be with or without Jesus. Your commute can be with or without Jesus. Uh, Your work can be with or without Jesus. Your recreation can be with or without Jesus. Your meals can be with or without Jesus. What if we became people who so centered our lives around the living presence of God that we were more aware of the, con- that we had the conscious awareness of God being with us, Emmanuel. God being present in our lives. Now, I'd like to say this, that I, that I, I would like to say I do this well um, in all circumstances, and to be honest, I, sometimes I'm really good at this, and sometimes I'm horrible. I am the worst at this when I go to the grocery store. I'm horrible. When I go to Costco... I go to Costco every Monday on my day off, and I, when I go in, I, I don't like stores in general, and Costco maybe all the more so, but 
They have good deals for my family. So I take my cart and I, I buy all the groceries for the week in like 15, 20 minutes. I literally run through the store. Like I know exactly what I want. If my wife sends me a text saying I need extra things, most of the time I can't get it because I have a certain thing that I get as I drive, I, I run, run through the store with this cart, right? But guess what? When my life's so fast for like when I'm living that pace, we can't experience the nearness of Jesus, the Spirit of God. Like, and, and so one day, I was aware that I'm like, God, I completely miss you when I go to the grocery store. And I became aware of this one day because I saw somebody that I knew, and they told me later, John, I saw you in Costco, and you walked right by me. So here I am, <laughs> like, like they, I think they even waved, right? <laughs> and, and so I literally, I'm like, on my running, getting all my groceries, I'm not aware, you know, part of the, 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 the with God life includes other people because all of a sudden you become more aware of God's presence with you, but you become more aware of people around you, right? So I'm aware that when I go to Costco, I, I, don't practice the presence of God at all. So, so anyway, one day I, I become aware because I, she talked to me at church. She said, John, you saw me, but you didn't see me, and you just went right by me. And so I went in, and I'm like, I'm going to experience God's presence in Costco today. I took my cart, and I went a little bit slower. Instead of 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, I think I maybe 25 And then I was ready, but here's the deal. When I get in the long... I always go to the shortest line, and I'm very aware of when a new teller might open. Okay, so then I'm like very observant. One, two, three, four, five. Is there anybody opening? Is anybody talking like they might open a new register? And I'm ready to go get in that other line. And so I just want you to know, in, that, in those hurried moments, are my, soul, my soul's not centered. And so here's what I did. As I'm wheeling my card up, I can go to the shortest line, but I made a conscious choice. God, I want to experience you right here. And I pulled into the longest line. <laughs> no, you don't have to clap for me. But it was this moment where I realized that, that the very living presence of God can be with us when we go grocery shopping. And that hurry and the hustle and the bustle of life I had to set that aside to experience what God had in store for me in that moment. And it felt really awesome that God was with me as the rest of the world rushed by me. It felt amazingly good. Now, do I still do that every time I go to Costco? No. But let me tell you, I do pray before I go in saying, God, help me experience your nearness as I go grocery shopping now. Um, so sometimes a grocery store can become a cathedral if we're just more aware and say, God, I want to live with your conscious, your awareness of your conscious presence with me right now. Every day is a collection of moments, 86,400 seconds in a day. How many of them can you live with God? How many? Start where you are and grow from there. God wants to be with you at every single moment. So let's center our soul, 
Let's practice the presence of God. And in the future, we'll do a whole series on practicing the presence of God. Some of you are like, what does that even look like in our life? And I want to try to, I'll give you one practical tip that will help us a little bit more. But um, let's center our soul. Let's practice the presence of God. Let's leave no room for sinkholes in our life because they are so common. Okay, so practical tips. Number one, the best place to start doing life with God is in the small moments. So when I wake up, I invite God to be with me that day. And so this is this, when you wake up, doesn't matter when you do your, your, your regular prayer devotional time, but pray that God be with me this day. And then, it, and it's not in like the big magnificent moments, right? Like we think, oh, I'm going to experience God when we go to church, when I go to church and worship, when I read my Bible. But let's look for God in the ordinary and the mundane of life, Okay? So, when I wake up, I invite God to be with me this day, and then I try to consciously experience him walking next to me. And try that. God's Emmanuel, God with us at all times. Okay, so try that. Practice saying, God, you are with me. Help me be aware of your presence in this moment. So my commute can be frustrating and impatient, or it can be a place a time reflected upon God. It can become a prayer time. Your morning, actually, I was talking to some of you guys during uh, our last growth group, and man, some, many of you connect with God in your cars during your commute, and I want to encourage you, what a great space. Instead of being frustrated and angry and like getting off center, what if we spent that time just with God? What a great space, Right? Um, my to-do list for the day can seem overwhelming, deadly boring, or it can remind me that God is with me in every meeting, every phone call, every deadline. This is the with God life that God destined us for. Um, here's a little trick that I begin to practice. So, you know when you talk to yourself in your, in your head, you're like, oh, this is fun. Okay? Oh, that was a good, that was good salsa. Okay, like you talk to yourself, right? Most of us do this. Well, I've tried to cut out talking to myself and I talk to God. And so it's like, God, that was really good salsa. Thanks for creating the tomatoes and the chilies. And, you know, so all of a sudden, instead of talking to myself, I'm beginning to develop this, just this ongoing conversation with, with Jesus. And it's beautiful. It's it's centering my soul in these extra moments, okay? So instead of talking to yourself, begin to take these moments and just talk to God. And it, it, it takes a lot because we've, we just naturally talk to ourselves. Um, let me tell you, God wants to know when you're frustrated and tired and those things that you just tell yourself up here, just begin to verbalize that and frame it as a prayer to God, okay? Number two, Psalm 16, 8 says, I've set the Lord always before me. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. These scriptures speak of the need for our soul to be com completely and thoroughly with God. But as both of these verses suggest, it doesn't happen automatically. So set 
and take captive are action verbs, implying you have a role in determining where your soul lies. So it's your choice. And sometimes we have to make choices along that journey to center our souls, okay? And number three, many Christians experience so much expend so much energy and worry trying not to sin. The goal is not to try to sin less. Let me tell you, let me say that again. The goal is to not to try to sin less. So many of us, our constant focus is stop doing this bad thing. And if that's your constant focus, what is all your energy going towards? It's going towards and it's pointing towards your sin right? So the goal is not to try sin less. If all of your efforts are focusing on not sinning, your focus is actually on sin. You know what you should focus on? Jesus in the presence of God. So what if, so, and that's where, um, I, I learned this very early in my ministry. Uh, I was talking with this guy named Andrew and he's like, John, I, I have this sexual thing in my brain, in my heart. I can't work it through. What do I do? How do, and I said, Andrew, you're, you're so both. All, we, do, we talked about this thing for 45 minutes, and he said, self, a hundred times, as soon as I can beat this, I can take care of this sin, I can conquer this sin, and all his energy was pointing towards the sin instead of his heart pointing towards Jesus in the presence of Jesus. And that, you guys, that changes everything. Out of that relationship with God, our life becomes free. So it's like, where are you putting your focus? Where are you putting your energy? God wants you to focus on Christ. Uh, John 15, 4 says, Abide in me. Be with God. The life with God type life. So let me tell you, what if you just relaxed a little bit and enjoyed God's presence a little bit more? Stop hyper-focusing on yourself and maybe hyper-focus on the Spirit of God in your life. Try it. Because some of you have tried to overcome certain issues for like decades and you're not there yet, but you keep trying the same thing, right? It's all about beating yourself up. What if you just focus on Jesus and the presence of God, invited God in? to those moments. Okay. So why don't you guys stand with me? I